Hello, and welcome to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. My name is Jamie Edwards, and I'm a full-time professional endurance coach, age group triathlete, and triathlon fan. The Diary of an Age Grouper podcast is all about content relevant to age groupers. We'll talk to athletes, coaches, and experts who walk the walk. Welcome back to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. This is the second part of our chat with Renee Kiley. We continue to discover more about Renee and her journey from unhealthy, overweight, workaholic to elite triathlete living the pro dream. Enjoy. So talk to us now about, you know, after that first, those first few Ironmans and you're, you're established mm-hmm. as a triathlete, uh, is the aspiration to make it as a pro, is it the aspiration to win your age group? And talk to us about that period between those first couple of Ironmans and then, you know, what ultimately led you to make the decision to try and make it as a pro. Yeah, it was, I would say when I did that uh, Ironman in, when was it? When did I have that first sort of going pro? I would say actually it was 2016. So after 15, I did the first Ironman in August and then did Corona six weeks later. And then it was like early the following year, I was pretty much like winning or coming on the podium of my age group at all the distances, you know, like sprint, Olympic, half. And then Port Mac was 16, was the goal to get back to Kona. And then I did Port Mac and like had a pretty good race there. I think the top three of us were all within like seven minutes of each other or something like that um, at Port Mac that year. So I got my spot for Kona there. And then actually like people in our tri club in that six months prior had kind of like joked and said, oh, you know, like you, you, have you thought about going pro and you've moved up so quickly, but I just had never given it a thought. Like I actually didn't even really follow the pro side of the sport um, at that point. Like I was just doing it for fun and obviously very competitive. Like I wanted to be on the podium in my age group, training a lot, all that kind of stuff, but I just didn't understand the pro side of the sport. And to be honest, who the hell, at, I think I was like 31 or 32 or something, like who at that age like literally thinks that they can like have a new career as a professional athlete, like it just sounds so stupid. So I didn't ever really seriously cross my mind. People were mentioning it and saying it, but I'd never really gave it any thought. And I was happy. Like I loved as much as I was probably unhappy in my personal life and my health and things like that. I loved my job, loved my business. Um, so prepared for Port Mac and then after at the awards presentation of Port Mac, like the awards ceremony that we used to have pre-COVID days, um, Beth McKenzie won the race that year pro-female and she got up to do her winner's speech. And for whatever reason, I, I'd been drinking like for hours before this ceremony. So for whatever reason, I was just quiet in the time that she was doing her speech, which is pretty unusual um, when you're celebrating. but. She said um, something along the lines of, I think she was like 36 or something at the time, and she was saying, if someone had told me 10 years ago that at the age of 36 I'd be standing here as the winner of a professional Ironman race, like I would have said they were crazy. 
And I just remember having this other light bulb moment, exactly like I did at that Noosa try in 2013. I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, she's 36, like, and she's doing this professionally and she's just won a race. Like it blew my mind. I just assumed every pro was like 20 something. So that blew my mind. Um, And I just couldn't stop thinking about it. So I got home, like went back home and obviously have to go back to work. I think I had a couple of days off before going back to work. And I just remember being in the shower in the morning, like when I got back to Melbourne, and just I just could not stop thinking about it. I was like, I just think I need to do this. Like I just think I could do this every day, like train every day. I think I've got the right personality for it. I don't think my results, like I don't think anyone would have looked, I, even though I was finishing on the podium at every kind of race and I had this like trajectory, I don't think anyone would have looked at my results and went, oh, she should be racing pro um I was a good all-round triathlete but I wasn't one of those ones that had a standout run or a standout bike or anything like that um but I just couldn't stop thinking about it and this is one thing that life has taught me if you can't stop thinking if you have a gut feeling you can't stop thinking about it then you have to make a way to make it happen so I thought about it and thought about it I didn't talk to anyone, my coach or anything like that about it. I made the decision in my head. I was like, no, I, I'm going to do this. Like I sat down and went through my own financials, my work situation, all of this by myself in my own head and had a real good think about whether I could, you know, train every day and I would be, would I be happy and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of made the decision in my own head that that's what I wanted to do. And the reason I didn't ask my coach or I didn't ask my friends or anything like that is I didn't want anyone to tell me no. I didn't want anyone to say, no, you can't do it or you're not good enough. I just had this really strong self-belief that I could do it. Um, And a big part of that was like thinking to myself, God, if I'm doing this now and I've only been in a sport like two years, imagine what's possible, you know, with three, four, five more years of training. So that was like probably the biggest part of the puzzle for me is like where I was at then with only two years in the sport and what I thought I could get to. Um, So I spoke to my, the first person I spoke to about it was my business partner. Um, I said to him, this was May. So this was like May that I'd done Port Mac and then obviously Kona was in October. And I said to him, sat him down for breakfast one morning and I said to him, I think I want to do this. And he was amazing. Like this is my business partner of 10 years at the time. He could have just seen easily have gone, oh, my God, like we've just worked so hard for 10 years. What are you talking about? You want to like work, drop down your hours and stuff like that. But he was just amazingly supportive. He just said, you know, not many people in the world get this opportunity and I think we've just got to make it happen somehow. So that was in May and we kind of made the agreement that I would work really hard towards Kona in October. And if I had a really good result at Kona in the October, then I would try and then after that I would try and go for my pro license. Um, So, of course, then I put everything like training-wise into this big preparation for Kona. But I went and raced Bintan 70.3, which was I think it was like four weeks before Kona uh, in an Indonesian island. Anyway, I was winning my age group. So my, the whole point of doing Bintan was, okay, like try and go there, be good preparation for Kona. I've just trained really hard, good prep race, but also like let's see if I can win the overall age group race and also tick off my, my pro qualification. 
So I was having a great race and I think I was winning the overall age group race by like 10 or 15 minutes, like when we went out into the run. And I had uh, 2 Ks before the finish line of the run. I collapsed with severe heat stroke uh, and I almost died, actually. It was a really, really bad experience. I was unconscious for a long time. Yeah, yeah, no, seriously. Yeah, 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 no, I'm not joking. (laughs) Yeah, it was terrible. I... I remember looking at my watch, like people say to me, do you remember it happening? And I remember being in a lot of pain, like just physically a lot of pain. But I remember like a lot of self-talk, no, this is what running's hard and we've got to get better at running because running had always been my weakness. You just got to push, you just got to push. This is me and my self-talk. And then I remember looking at my watch a couple of times and I couldn't figure out how long to go you know when your mind's all fuzzy and you can't figure it out I kept looking at I kept Mm -hmm. looking at it and then I was getting angry at myself because I couldn't figure out how long there was to go in the race which is quite simple when your garment's saying x amount of kilometers and you know it's 21 kilometers but I couldn't figure it out like I couldn't I kept looking and I couldn't figure out how long to go Um, and I have like all these flashback memories like little bits and pieces of like grass and then like waking up and seeing people in tri suits and not understanding what they were doing I thought I was at a circus at one point or like just all these little flashback moments anyway my next memory is I woke up in an ambulance and then I must have passed out again and then my next memory is waking up like on a stretcher like covered in ice like full-on ice cubes everywhere but I couldn't talk I couldn't talk couldn't move my arms legs or anything like that for about 45 minutes because all my limbs and everything had shut down to protect my brain and heart um so it was really bad and we we're on this island Bintan Island there was no major hospital or anything on the island so it took them like 45 minutes to stabilize me and then I started seizing having seizures uh, and then I had heart and then I was yeah in this like little resort like medical room with like 10 doctors around me and they're all telling me like to focus on breathing slowly because I was close to having a heart attack and then I got sent on a speedboat to Singapore like and I spent the night in intensive care over there um, and my heart was being monitored all night so that was like a really really bad experience and that was four weeks before Kona so that really knocked me around. I had to, when I was allowed to fly, like 24 hours later, I was allowed to fly home uh, after being monitored for that whole 24 hours. And I had to go back for the next, like every three days, I had to go into the hospital to have like more tests and stuff on my heart. So that was, yeah, not the greatest prep. And actually the doctors said to me that they didn't want me to race Kona because what happens when you have an experience like that in your heat is the body's really like remembers um, how bad that is. And so your body can like overreact in those situations again, like start shutting down your body, even though it doesn't need to, because it's had such a bad experience before. So a lot of the doctors and stuff said to me, they didn't think it was a good idea to race Kona in that heat. So of course I did and went and raced it. Um, I came off. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah, and then I, but I remember like that really knocked me around like three or four days I would wake up like and I'd start crying and all that sort of stuff like because I kept having flashbacks. I couldn't remember a lot of it when it happened but for the days following I would like almost like had dream like flashbacks like just remembering like waking. I remember when I passed out like having these flashbacks like I remember there were times where I was waking up because like, I must have collapsed on the grass like near near a um aid station 
And I just remember waking up and like touching the grass and like not understanding like what it was and stuff like that. And that stuff, like when you're remembering stuff like that, it's pretty scary. Um, so yeah, I went and raced Kona, thought I was fine, thought it was going to be great. Um, came off the bike, I think like second or something in my age group. So I had a great swim and bike and then of course it just all fell to pieces on the run and as soon as I started getting like hot I just like had a meltdown like mentally and physically and I was going to pull out like I remember after that first bit out on Alihi Drive in Kona which is the first sort of 16k of the race when I came back at that 16k mark I was like crying and carrying on to my coach I was like I can't do this I need to pull out I need to pull out anyway I didn't pull out and somehow walk ran to the finish line and with a 50th place or something like that so I still finished that year but obviously I was devastated because I had gone into that race really wanting to finish top five in my age group to kind of like justify to myself that I deserve to go pro um so that one took quite a few months to recover from mentally so after that I kind of hit the wall mentally and physically because I just put my body through so much um really struggled for a few months and actually I got an injury as well I got um, my first ever injury I had ITB syndrome after and I think the main reason for that was because I fell into such a hole after Kona. I just didn't do anything like didn't train didn't do anything for weeks and I think that was the worst thing for my body after running doing these like 25 to 28 hour training weeks then to totally stop is not great um so yeah I picked up an injury as well so as you can imagine mentally the few months following that were like awful because I was questioning myself then like should I go pro should I not all that kind of stuff and it was early the following year like once I sort of came around changed coaches got over the injury got back into training got a bit of confidence back won a few like Olympic and sprint distance races early in 2017 then I was like, no, like you are good enough. You do believe in yourself. You can do this. Um, so then it was like setting the wheels in motion to get my, like formally qualify for my pro license. So we targeted CAN 70.3 in June, 2017 and trying to win the overall age group race there. So I went to Cairns. I won the overall age group race. I think I did 4.33 or 4.34 or something like that. And that was enough. I sent an email to Triathlon Australia the next day before I changed my mind with my results. And literally like 24 hours after that, they sent the email back and said, yep, you qualify for your pro license. So that was like around June, July, 2017. Okay. So <laughs> there's a lot in that, but I'll, I'll try and keep it <laughs> succinct. So did the training change at all in that period did you do anything different when it, when you'd flick that switch and said right I'm going to make it pro or did you just try and make it as a pro and, and qualify for my license or did you just keep doing what you were doing sort of those 25 to 28 hour weeks or were you doing things a little bit more specific so that you go faster or did you know that there was a goal time or roughly what you'd have to do to be able to achieve that license and I guess as a second part of that question can you tell us what is entailed in in getting the license? Um, and, mm -hmm. and what boxes you need to tick yeah I'll cover that off first while it's in my memory so I think it might be different now but for Australia um, you have to win the overall age group race at an Ironman 
challenge or any other major brand race, which is a bit of a grey area, or you have to come top five in your age group at a world championship race, 70.3 Kona. I think they might even include um, like Olympic distance worlds as well. Um, and you have to be within, I can't remember the percentage, so don't quote me on this. It's something like you have to be within 9% or something of the winning pros time. So with Cairns that year, it had been a pro race every other year except for that year. So all the years prior had been, there'd been a pro 70.3 race. But the year I did it, there was no pro race. But I won the overall age group race and I pulled out the times from the last couple of years and I was within that percentage. And I'd actually, my bike time was pretty much the same as the top pros um, as well. So when I put my application in, I just laid all that out to them as well as all my other results. Um, and yeah, they were fine with that. They said, yeah, if there was any other year, if the pro field had been there, you would have met that criteria. So I think there's like a set in stone criteria, but I think a lot of pros like kind of put their case up if you just fall slightly outside of it and then it's up to TA and their discretion as to whether they approve it or not. Um, in terms of my training, so I changed coaches. Like I, I started 2017 with a new coach. Um, I wouldn't say like, well, I, I wouldn't say the training changed heaps. Like in terms of volume, I was still doing a similar amount of volume, but it definitely was a lot more professionally put together and structured a lot more. Um, so I was then training to power and using heart rate, whereas in the past it had all been sort of perceived effort. I never really had a power meter and things like that. So, um, yeah, I would just say it became more specific. Um, and the, the coach I had at the time was Jared Evans. Um, some A lot of people from Australia know him. He, were, he was actually working with USA triathlon back then. So it was by correspondence when I started with him. Um, so, yeah, he was super knowledgeable, very professional coach so it was a learning curve for me like learning about power zones and heart rate zones and all that kind of stuff so yeah Jared was definitely the coach that took me from being you know a good age grouper to professionalizing me and getting me that pro license and teaching me a lot about the professional side of sport so he kind of knew the stats and the numbers like from his experience in the sport he kind of had an idea of like what power I needed to be pushing on the bike in a race and in my intervals in my training and stuff and what paces I kind of needed to be running um to hit certain times to qualify can you take us inside a training week leading into that Cairns race which was obviously quite successful especially if you look at some of the things that had happened to you over the previous 12 months and the bad mm -hmm. race experiences do you do you remember yeah. like and and when you're telling us about it like if you could maybe explain what you mean by more professional and this, and more structure and how you were mm -hmm. using that heart rate and power data that, which you hadn't previously been using. Oh, I wish I had my laptop here right now because I actually, on my laptop, I have all my old training programs that would have been interesting to like talk about because I do, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to remember the structure of an exact week back that going back to 2000 and 17 um just make it up and I guess, make it sound epic yeah make it sound amazing <laughs> yeah I did like seven hour bike ride and yeah um no I guess like with my in my age group training even though I was doing a lot of volume a lot of it was easy 
So I'd like easy long ride, easy four hour ride, easy like three hour run, you know, even easy one hour run. So there was a lot of like just easy volume, not a lot of specific. I might have had like one track session every two weeks or something like that, but never really any specific intervals, even like, you know, on that long ride specific getting into an Ironman, it was just like three loops around at what you think your Ironman perceived effort might be. So yeah, it was like a lot of easy volume without much structure around power and things like that so when I started with Jared yeah it became a lot more specific so if I had a bike interval session so I I remember actually for the first time doing with him a lot of like VO2 max like 30 second efforts on the bike for example which I'd never done before so he'd get me to do like a track standing start on the bike so I'd be like standing up like ready to push in a big gear and I'd have like 30 second all out efforts, like with one minute rest or things like that, that I'd never done prior. Um, with my run sessions, I remember I'd still have my key, like, you know, run, easy run sessions, long runs and stuff. But I think it was Tuesdays, I would have like an interval session uh, where he might get me to do, gosh, I'm really pushing the paces and like in terms of memory, but it might be say like, eight by four minutes at four minute K pace or eight by four minutes at 405 to 410 pace, like very specific in terms of like the paces I needed to hit for the intervals. And that was all based on getting to a certain run time. Like I remember him saying to me, like, you know, to run 130 off the bike, we need to be doing this session and these intervals at this speed for example. So that was one I do remember. It was like eight by four minutes and the next week about be eight by five minutes. So it was like progressions each week um, and progressing with the length of the intervals, but also with the pace. Like I think when I first did it with him, it was 410 to 415 pace. And eventually that came down to four minute K to 405 pace. Um, so there's sessions like that. And even my long rides, um, actually Levi Maxwell was another athlete um, that I did a lot of training with in that phase because he was coached by Jared at the time as well so it's kind of good looking back I need to try to train with males more I think that's why I was so good on the bike back then so I was always training with like really strong guys um, so yeah well, I'd go out with Levi and we'd do like six hour long ride and we might have three by 20 minutes and Jared would give like me specific power to hold I can't really, well, I remember I did look back at this actually not long ago and I remember hitting like 220 to 230 watts like in my 20-minute intervals like during a long ride and I remember Jared commenting in my training peak saying this is excellent like I think this might have even been before just before I went pro actually like in that lead up to Cairns like he I remember him specifically commenting saying this is excellent this is like what the strongest female pro women in the sport are roughly doing their intervals at. So like, it's great. So yeah, he just had so much knowledge around what I needed to be doing in my intervals to be able to convert that to the times I needed to be doing in the races. Okay. And what other things were you doing around that time to optimize your performance? Cause obviously you've now gone from, you started off it being a health journey. Then it was a fitness and aspirations to go longer in terms of distances you were racing then your competitive mm -hmm. nature took over and you were trying to aspire to be on the podium within your age group. Then you flicked that switch and said, right, I want to race pro. So obviously there's a, you've gone from health through fitness and then really performance, performance orientated. 
So were there other things that you remember doing at that time and talking with Jared about um, to, to try and optimize in your day-to-day life and within training to, to help you take that step up? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I would say most of it was training up until I, until 2000, late 2017. So I, it was June that I did that Cairns race and late June, early July that I got my pro license. And then I picked two races overseas uh, in Europe, actually, as my first two pro races. Um, it was Challenge Iceland and then... 70.3 Gdynia in Poland. They were like a few weeks apart. And I think they were around August and September, something like this. Um, so they were my first two pro races. And I came, I think, second last in both of those races or maybe second last and last. Huge shock to the system, like racing pro, like the difference between racing pro and age group. I would say I was probably like unexpected. Like I knew it was going to be different, but I didn't have, I didn't understand how different it was going to be racing in the pro field. So I'd say it was all mostly training up until that point. I rang Jared after that second race and I said to him, I was still working full time at that time or four days a week, I think. And I remember calling him after that second race and saying, I cannot compete with these women. Like, unless I'm training full-time, I don't want to, I'm not doing this again. I'm not coming last. I'm not coming second last. I would rather go back to age group racing. This is not what I'm racing pro for. And if that's as good as I can get, then I'm going back to racing age group, but something needs to change because I cannot compete like at the moment training part-time. So after that second race and after that conversation with him, I went back to my business partner and said, I need to I need to work train full time. So, you know, how do we make this work? So end of 2018, we agreed, my business partner and I, we agreed that I could take four years out of the business. And at the end of that four years, I needed to either sell all my shares and get out of the business completely, or I needed to come back to work full time. So that started first of January 2019, yeah, so it was actually end of last year that that ended. So what happened? So I, I decided to stay in the sport. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was really, really, like, it wasn't a tough decision because like after two or three, what was it, four more years of training, it's like you get to that point where you're like, I can't, you know, I've come too far now, I can't. I put too much work and effort into this. I can't go back now. And I couldn't imagine sitting in an office all day anymore anyway. But, yeah, going back to 2018 when we made that decision, I would say up until then I was just training. But then it was like the start of 2019 that I became a real professional. Like I was actually training full time. I wasn't working. Um, So there was all the like recovery and doing all that properly as well as just training differently. Okay, so what does how does that change then? So that's the the chapter you're in now, really, isn't it? So you're you're fully committed. Mm-hmm. So what are the biggest changes between, you know, when you were an age grouper and you know beginner, developing age grouper, top age grouper, and then essentially a pro that was still working, and then you made that decision with your business partner, and you go mm-hmm. all in. 
what are, what are the biggest changes from you know being a working pro or a working age grouper to being yeah you know, a full time professional age grouper? Um, I would say it's the same as in the fact that you still have to train, but I would say it's com- yeah completely different. Like it's all consuming um when you make that decision to train full time and go absolutely all in uh like my life now I don't really um like I don't really socialize like my only social time is like training with other pros and my friendships with other pros um I live overseas for like six to seven months every year living out of a suitcase um I feel like there's ups and downs like obviously there's ups and downs when you work full-time as well but when you're not working anymore and you're training full-time it's all you have so I feel like the ups and downs are a lot steeper um, because if you have a bad race or a bad training week or whatever else you kind of in your own head and you don't have that you don't have anything else you don't have you don't have to go to work and therefore you can kind of forget about training and racing for a while um, so the mental side of it, I feel like it is a lot more consuming and a lot more ups and downs. Um, but yeah, it's literally like living kind of like a Spartan lifestyle. I was actually ran, I was riding the other day up a mountain pass here in St. Moritz and I ran into this like Italian guy and we're kind of like having a bit of a race up to the top of the mountain and we got chatting towards the top and he was just like an amateur cyclist, but obviously all the amateur cyclists over here in europe are bloody amazing because they're riding up mountains all the time but he kind of said to me oh what do you do and i said oh, i'm a professional triathlete and he started laughing and he's like oh yeah everyone thinks that's such an easy job you know you just go for like coffee rides and stuff and i started laughing and i said yeah yeah apparently just so easy you know i'm out here in the mountains and i'm just so lucky and it's just so easy and he he looked at me he's like yeah it's not easy is it and i said no it's not easy um, but yeah, I think it's just that all consuming nature of it. And especially when I'm pretty realistic about my abilities and capabilities, like I'm, you know, I'm not one of the top triathletes in the world. Um, so I'm not always on the podium. I'm not always winning races. Um, so it's just that constant, like self-talk, am I good enough to be doing this? Am I good enough to be racing pro and then you see these performances like on the weekend of all these women going so fast and you're just like, why am I even freaking bothering like with this? I'm nowhere near this level. So, yeah, I feel like it's the mental side of it mostly that is very, very different because you're completely engulfed in it. Um, but also like training every day. It, it, don't get me wrong. I freaking love this. Like I, I love it like 80% of the time. But it's the grind, you know, like there's no days off. There's no weeks off. It's like seven days a week, three times a day. Um, And, yes, you can have a week off if you want to, but, you know, your competitors might not be and that might set you back like a month in terms of your racing. And if it sets you back in terms of your racing for a month, that means a month that you don't earn any income. So it's just this like snowball effect. so yeah, and it's it's trying not to get injured because you are training a lot. Um, so it's managing your body a bit better and making sure you're making the right decisions all the time with food and injury prevention. Um, so yeah, like I'm making out like it's a super hard job. It's like any job; it has lots of challenges. But I think it's the fact that what where I find the difference between working full time in my corporate life and working full time as an athlete 
it's like that mental exhaustion that you get in corporate life. Um, you get that as well in being a professional athlete, completely drained mentally. Like I can't even deal with emails most day because, days because you're just so tired. But it's also the physical exhaustion, like your body just being tired all the time. Um, and then like little things like the guilt of not being able to have like that normal kind of life where you spend a lot of time with family or you go to friends, social functions and having to say no to all that stuff. It doesn't bother me saying no because I'm doing what I love. Um, but it's that guilt all the time about others, like disappointing others, I guess. So, yeah, it's kind of just that all-consuming Spartan kind of selfish lifestyle that's quite hard on your mind and your body all the time. But I also know it's for a limited time. Like this, that's what gets me through the tough times, I think, is, you know, like sport has a shelf life and this is just for a limited time. So you really do have to go all in. Can you tell us a little bit about the financial side of things? So leaving yep. you know, quite a successful corporate job and corporate world. And then obviously I'm, I'm assuming, you know, sort of giving up your, your salary and, and your shares mm -hmm. as per the agreement with your business partner. So, you know, how, how are you making money? And then also, you know, a little bit about, you know, sponsorship. Yep. So for me, again, I hate using the word lucky because I worked really hard to get myself into my current financial position. But for me, I have um, the situation where I did sell, sell down my shares in the business. So I had my own um, wealth, I guess, or like money, finances to support myself. So in the first couple of years of Racing Pro, I made the agreement with myself that I will do whatever I need to do to best develop myself as an athlete. So I'm not going to stress about sponsorship. I'm not going to stress about like making money at every race. I'm just going to do what I think I need to do and what my coaches think I need to do um, to develop me and make me the best athlete as quickly as possible. So what I did in the, in the early years is I actually like chased went and raced in a lot of the big races you know I raced in Daytona in 2020 I raced European champs Ironmans I I raced a lot of big races and I raced a lot away from home I could have like stayed home and raced the Oceana circuit a lot which just being honest it's like the fields are a lot weaker than they are uh, in Europe for example or even the U.S. Um, but I made the decision and it was my coach's advice too at the time that racing in the bigger fields will develop you better as an athlete because you and it's true like because you get an indication of how good people really are and it pushes you harder in training um, so for those first couple of years I didn't I was like hey I'm probably going to spend a lot of my own money here but this is going to be better for me long term but so I did that for a couple of years and I really do think it made me a better athlete but now, obviously, I just don't want my finances to be a big black hole. So for the, la the last year and this year, it's been, uh, even the year before, it's been a pretty big goal of mine that I want to be earning money every race and obviously want to be a lot more strategic about my racing so that I can try and cover my costs. So I guess what I'm saying is, yes, I'm using a lot of what well, I was using and I am still a little bit now using a lot of my own money um from my past background my own savings or whatever 
to help me get by. And also on the sponsorship side of things, like I haven't pursued sponsorship. I have uh, Win Republic and I've had Win Republic are my main sponsor now and I've had smaller sponsors in the past, but I really value my brand and my personality and like what I give back to people. So I guess I don't accept um, small sponsorships and I guess I'm in the position where I don't need to do that I don't want to compromise on the equipment I'm using I don't want to be censored in things that I'm saying on my social media and what I'm sharing and things like that for the sake of a few dollars here and there um, and also because of my past background I'm I have the luxury of being able to do that as well um, so right now my goal with finances is like I want to be able to get to the end of every year earning enough in prize money to pretty much cover cover my triathlon costs if I like you know my coaching my travel um these overseas camps accommodation flights stuff like that if I can cover all the costs of racing and training um from prize money I'm pretty happy and I'm quite proud actually you know I'm not the best athlete in the world but I rarely finish outside the top five in races and I raced in two world championships last year and I've had you know it decent decent time in the last few years so I have managed to cover my costs of racing and triathlon in the last few years just from prize money and I'm in the position now that because I am sort of finishing in the top five in most races I do usually get like accommodation assistance at races through challenge and Ironman as well which is like really really helpful um and I've you know, with these overseas camps, I've got connections and contacts now where I can get like a really cheap accommodation. I live with my parents in Brisbane. So when I am home, my cost of living is like really cheap. So I, I guess um, I don't know how new pros can do it basically without um, some sort of assistance from family or a partner. Like they're my goals and in terms of finances and I think there is a huge disparity between like say the top 15 athletes in the world and everyone else underneath that is just scraping to cover their costs and the top 15 are obviously earning really good money and that's great like kudos to them they should be because they're the best in the world but it's certainly very difficult I imagine for new pros unless they have financial support from someone. Thanks for sharing that because I think the business of triathlon is quite interesting so mm-hmm. I'm going to ask one last geeky triathlon question about your training yes, and then we'll move into some advice and then some rapid fire questions to finish. Mm-hmm. So geeky triathlon fan question is what's your current weekly training structure across swim, bike and run, you know, hours per week, you know, what that looks like whilst you're on a camp like you are now, just because I've asked mm-hmm. that at, at the you know, the various stages that you've been through and that we've covered off during this conversation. And then, as I said, we'll, we'll move on to some closing comments and some, uh, some rapid fire questions. Okay. So I'll actually, if you want to, it might, it might take us 10 minutes. I can actually give you like my actual week of training this week. If you want, it's like pretty interesting and I'm pretty, pretty big block right now. Yeah, um, but my, co- my coach at the moment is Harold Vyton. Um, who's the Norwegian Federation head coach. Um, he coached Christian and Gustav for the last 10, 12 years. So I am very, very lucky to be working with him and I've been working with him for 18 months now. Yeah, I think um, I've heard of those guys. 
Yep. So my schedule this week, so Monday, which was when? Two days ago. So I had in the morning, I had an what we call LT2, which is a up like threshold swim. So I actually had the main set was 30 by 100, uh, 5.3K total. And then in the afternoon, I had a two-hour turbo session, which was VO2 max main set, which was seven by three minutes with 90 seconds rest, so all out for the three minutes. And then I had a one-hour build run off the bike. And then yesterday I had five-hour long ride, which five-hour long ride, easy ride, which was 3,000 metres of elevation gain and took me five and a half hours. And then I had a one-hour easy run off the bike. So basically Monday we have like triple threshold day. Um, the day after, which was yesterday, we have long, easy day. So it's six and a half hours of training, but all like easy in inverted commas. And then today we have triple threshold day again. So we have 5K swim this morning with the VO2 max main set. As I said before, this afternoon, trainer session, five by 10 minutes at threshold, which threshold for me up here at altitude is anywhere between 230 and 240 watts. Um, I'm measuring lactate after a couple of those intervals to make sure I'm in the right range. Um, 90, only 90. So the big difference with me, my current training and my current coach is the minimal rest. So most people would do say five by 10 minutes threshold efforts on the bike but they would have five minutes rest like quite a lot of recovery in between um but i have very minimal rest so i'll do five by ten minutes with 90 seconds rest in between so it's actually more like doing a 50 minute threshold effort which is quite difficult uh, and then off the bike we do 15 by three minute or 15 by 800 around the track at threshold and again threshold for me up here at altitude is about four minute k pace for those efforts so 15 800s at four minute k pace with 60 seconds rest in between and warm, warm up and cool down. So that ends up being about an hour and a half that session. Tomorrow morning or tomorrow I have double run day. So in the morning I have 40 minute easy run in the morning and then I have a 6K swim straight after that endurance and strength. And then in the afternoon I have two hour, 15 minute run. So a big run day tomorrow. Friday is swim only, um, so it's a day off my legs. So I have 6K swim in the morning and then basically try to be horizontal for the rest of the day, which I will definitely need after the next couple of days. Saturday, I have four-hour long bike in the morning, just easy bike, but everything easy up here is always climbing mountains. And then in the afternoon, I have a 75-minute run on the track. So this is like a speed overspeed session for me. So I'll do a warm-up and a cool-down. The main set is 10 400s, um, basically best effort for those 400s with a 200-metre easy recovery in between two times through. So I'll do 20 by 400 in total. So that's like my overspeed session for the week. And then Sunday is another easy day. I have easy bike, two hours and an easy swim, a long, easy swim, 5K sort of strength aerobic swim on Sunday. So my general structure is triple threshold day followed by a very long aerobic day, another triple threshold day, long run day, day off the legs, and then Saturday, long, long ride on Saturday and another like kind of easy aerobic day on Sunday. Any, do you do any strength work? Does strength work feature in your programming at all? No. Um, 
because I have tried it. So I went, I did an 18, actually for 18 months, a couple of years ago, I tried it. And for no other reason than I guess I was just trying to find another 1%, you know, like trying to get better in another way. But I actually found like I couldn't see anywhere where it was helping my training. I was going twice a week with a very specific like gym program. Um, and it was fine. Like I enjoyed it. And aesthetically, I think I like looked a bit fitter or whatever, but I found like a couple of things, like it was taking up another three hours during the week. And when you're training 30 hours a week, like time is very precious and another three hours of training is like difficult to fit in, especially as you get tired. Um, so there was that, there was the second part where I couldn't really find a direct correlation to how it was helping with my training, even after like 18 months. And then the third part was like, I never get injured and I never have got injured. Um, so for me, like I, I totally understand it with people that are injury prone or need to do rehab, that's different. Um, but for me, I've, besides that, like ITB injury back when I was an age group, uh, I've never had an injury. I've never had a bone stress injury. I've never had any major injuries that have stopped me from training. So I've kind of, it's difficult for me to say, oh yeah, I should be doing strength training because I'm not getting injured at the moment. So I, I kind of am a little bit scared to like change it. You know, why fix something that's not broken? So yeah, for me, like I would say half the coaches I've had have been proponents of it and half the coaches are like, no, well, it's, yeah, if there's no direct correlation to improving it and you haven't had any injury problems, then why would you go and change something? So for me, I think it's not that I'm against it, but I don't think it's shown to be relevant for me. All right, let's change direction and do five or six rapid fire. So this is sort of mm -hmm. one word, one sentence, and then, uh, yeah. then we might wrap it up, I think. So... Tell us best investment in your opinion for a top age grouper or professional. Beside the coach. Coach is a good <laughs> one, but if you have another one. Oh yeah. no, definitely a coach. Too many people don't have a coach and they wonder why they're not improving. Music to the ears of a career coach. So thank you. <laughs> uh, biggest mistake, biggest training mistake you've made? over the journey? I think going too hard on the easy sessions. I think, yeah, and just I know this is rapid fire, but, yeah, if you go too hard on the easy sessions, you can't raise the ceiling in the hard session. So, yeah, taking the easy sessions easy. Favourite training session? Probably a VO2 max bike session or a threshold swim session. Least favourite? long ride <laughs> most epic training session you've done or training day just one that just stands out whether it's good memories whether it was really really tough whether it left you in a heap yeah probably the one that left me in a heap last year I yesterday I did the exact same loop as this session that left me in a heap last like last year I did the same loop that I did yesterday and I was in that biggest state of fatigue. I could barely make it up the mountain. I thought about stopping and getting a cab home like multiple times. I was just absolutely destroyed. So yeah, that's very in my memory right now. So what is that loop? How long um, was it? How far? I, how much elevation? 
Oh, it's 3,000 metres elevation gain. It's two mountain pass climbs. So you start uh, the first climbs an hour and 10 minutes. It's so hard because you're going up to 2,500 metres of elevation. Then you like descend down a bit and then you do a second climb, which is actually over two hours. You're climbing 1,800 metres on the second climb. And this particular day last year, it's a 140K loop climbing those two mountain passes, 3,000 metres of elevation. You're going up to 2,500 metres twice from 1,800 metres already at altitude. It's like such a such a tough loop. And just last year I was in such a state of fatigue. I knew I was in a bad shape going up the first climb. And, you know, when you're like sweating more than normal, you know your body's like working way too hard for what you're doing. And then the, by the time I got to the second climb, I like you need to literally push 200 watts, like at my size, 60 kilo female, to get up the climb. So like you're not even, that's just to make it up the climb. And I remember last year I was like pushing 170 watts, barely making it up the climb and cry I got to the top and I was riding with a friend and I'm a much stronger cyclist than her and she made it to the climb up to the top of climb like 15 minutes before me and I just like burst into tears in her arm like I'm so tired right now it was a really bad day okay so last rapid fire is your top tip for any athlete looking to improve and I think what I'd say here is I'd allow you to break it down into those different stages that you've gone through from being pure beginner to an age grouper to a top age grouper and now pro, if you feel it's relevant to break it down, but top tip for any athlete trying to improve. Mine's more than mental than physical. Like, as I said earlier on, so many people think they're trying their best, but they're not trying their best like be tough on yourself be harder a bit harder on yourself like it won't hurt (laughs) um if you have goals and you want to get better be specific about your goals write them down and actually commit to it like don't lie to yourself and really commit to the process and be prepared to work hard because nothing comes easy you have to work hard and you have to get yourself into that mindset and yeah, I just think so many people think they're trying their best and they're trying their hardest, but they're, they're not. So I'm hearing hold yourself to a higher standard. Yeah, hold yourself to a higher standard. Like don't set these goals and then half-ass it or think that you're trying hard and you're not. Like, yeah, if you want to achieve big goals, then you have to make sacrifices and you, you have to really commit and work hard. And is that what motivates you? Yeah. To, to really does, find like, what, what the limits of your capabilities are? Yeah, I think with, with me personally, 50% of it is that and then 50% of it because I'm so competitive, like I, I want to beat people and I want to measure myself against people better than me. So, yeah, I'd say 50 for me, 50-50, 50 is internal and 50 is external. Cool. Well, at this point, I'm going to say thank you for coming on and thank you for sharing all that you've shared. I yeah okay. I really I really enjoyed the conversation. So if there um, is there anything else you would like to share with people? No, I just would like to say that I'm pretty open on socials. Um, like I pride myself on responding to everyone's private messages. So I share quite a lot on my store Instagram stories and a bit on my Strava. So if anyone has any questions specifically that I could help them with, like feel free to reach out. 
via, via DM and I'll always get back to everybody. That would be great. And what races have you got coming up this season? Uh, my big goal is Challenge Almere Amsterdam, which is a full distance in September in the Netherlands. I've done the race a couple of times before. It's a course that really suits me and my dream one day would be to win that race. So that's the big goal for me early September and I'll do a half distance. I've done three or four half distances already this year, but I'll do another half distance on the 30th of July in Finland and then I'll do that iron distance in early September and we see how we go there and I haven't sort of planned the back end of the season just yet. A chance you're coming back to Australia? Probably won't be home until October or November, to be honest. I think I'll, I've got my visa over here until middle of October, so I'll probably stay in Europe until middle of October. And, yeah, we'll see about doing a race in the US on the way home, but I'd like to do Challenge Canberra. I can't remember when it is. I think it's end of November sometime, but I'd like to be home to, to have a crack at Challenge Canberra. I think that'll be a cool race. Uh, well, we'll see how that unfolds and we'll look out for you in those races. Thanks again. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. If you have any questions, feedback or ideas for future guests, please contact us via the Diary of an Age Grouper Instagram page. Alternatively, you can email info at jetcoaching.com.au. Don't forget to like, comment, share and subscribe. This podcast was born to discuss all things age group triathlon. As an athlete, coach, and fan of the sport, I have always been intrigued with different approaches to training and how to optimize an individual's performance. We will speak to athletes who perform at a high level, as well as those with an interesting story. We will speak to coaches with a vast array of experience and also experts in various fields. We want to sift through what the physiology labs tell us, as well as what we see the pros doing and take the lessons that apply to us. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper.